Jesus wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost this morning. How many of you believe God can fill somebody with the Holy Ghost in this house? Praise God. Isaiah 42 and verse number 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry nor lift up nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed shall he not break. The smoking flax shall he not quench. A bruised reed shall he not break. The smoking flax shall he not quench. What I just read in your hearing this morning was a messianic prophecy. And if perhaps you don't know what a messianic prophecy is, it is a prophecy that points toward the coming of the Messiah. And it gives clarity to his character and his nature. It said that when the Messiah comes, a bruised reed would he not break. And the smoking flax shall he not quench. In other words, when the Savior comes to the world, as he already has, when the Savior comes to the world, it is not his desire to take what is broken and break it even more. But he wants to take what is broken and put it back together and make it whole again. There are individuals in this room and if you don't fall into this category right now, you either have or you will fall into this category. There are people in this room that are dealing with broken situations, broken heart, broken family, broken dream, broken ministry broken emotions, broken health, broken finances. And you're trying to put these pieces back together. And the enemy has convinced you that there is no hope in that broken area of your life. But when God gets done with you today, he's going to take what is broken and make it better than what it was before it was broken. I feel the restoring power of the Holy Ghost in this room. So I want to talk to you about fragments and futures. If you'll give him your fragments, he'll give you a future in that broken area. If you would, would you just lay your Bible down and if it's appropriate, make a point of contact with somebody. Reach over and just catch a burden for your neighbor. Lift your hands, lift your voices, open your hearts all over the house. And let's pray with unity.
Now, I wonder if we could clap our hands unto Jesus with faith and expectation. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for what you're about to do in our midst. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. When Jesus came to the earth, he did not come like a man, but he came as a man. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And we are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. And as Mary held this God-man in her arms, he was more than just an ordinary child, but he was the creator cradled in the arms of his own creation. Most in that moment would have probably said, God, what on earth are you doing? But Mary from her perspective, probably said, God, what are you doing on earth? And that question was answered by Jesus himself when 30 years later his earthly ministry began. The Bible said that he grabbed the scroll and began to quote the scripture of the prophet. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and hath anointed me to preach the gospel and to bind up the brokenhearted. We preach a lot about an anointing that breaks, but Jesus came with an anointing that puts back together. We talk a lot about an anointing that destroys, but Jesus came with an anointing that makes whole again. And... The writer of Hebrews said that we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmity. That word feeling there is a very interesting word. And what the writer was really trying to say is we do have a high priest which can be touched with the feeling of our infirmity. That word feeling there in the Greek is sympatheo. It's where we get the English word sympathy from. And when it said that he can be touched with the feeling of our infirmity, you have to understand here today that when God came in the flesh, humanity and deity were fused, but they were not confused. He was fully God, but he was also fully man. And in order for this God to become man, he had to humble himself and become obedient to death, even the death of the cross. He is God enough for me to never know what it's like to be him, but man enough for him to know what it's like to be me. And so he can be touched with the feeling of our infirmity. Often in scripture, when you see Jesus do a miracle, the Bible said that he was moved about with compassion. 
And the miraculous flowed from a place of sympathy and from a place of love and from a place of compassion toward people. Can I tell you that he is not just some heavenly king off in the distance sitting on his throne that cannot relate to his own creation. But your God is a God that took on flesh so that he could become relatable to you in your pain. He knows every tear. He knows every heartache. He knows every sleepless night. He knows every lonely emotion. He knows every valley. He knows every storm. Your God is a God that feels your pain. One thing that I have noticed in Pentecost is traveling across our movement for the last nearly eight years is that when it comes to Pentecostals, when it comes to church people, we have become very good at wearing the mask. We have mastered the art of building up walls around our wounds. I'm not just talking about an everyday struggle or the curveball that Monday throws at you that you didn't expect. You're having a difficult time navigating it, but the pain and the difficulty of that will pass in the next 24 hours. I'm talking about that thing in our lives that looms, that thing that comes and it comes with the intention to stay. It comes, and it seems as though we'll never get out of this. I'm talking about that thing that you don't like to bring up at the dinner table. That thing that you have just learned to cope with. That thing that has caused tears to flow down your face in the middle of the night. That thing that has been the source of sleepless nights. That thing that has caused you to worry and to stress. That thing that when you come into the house of God and the Holy Ghost gets a little too close to home, you disengage because you don't want to have to deal with it. Or whenever the preacher begins to touch that wound in your life behind the pulpit you shut the preacher off and you build walls around your wounds because you've learned how to live with it and you don't want to talk about it the problem with that is is when we don't let God heal our old wounds we minister from a place of dysfunction rather than from a place of wholeness and healing but God wants to put things back together in this building here this morning where you don't minister from a place of dysfunction, but you minister from a place of wholeness and healing. And in this hour, I believe that in this moment, my assignment in the Holy Ghost is to help somebody let down the walls and peel back the layers and help us become vulnerable with the Holy Ghost so that God can heal those old wounds in our lives. And in this hour, we have got to understand that failure is more accessible in this hour than it has ever been. Failure is more accessible in 2024 than it has ever been in any other point in history. 
There are individuals whose world is spiraling out of control because of one click on the internet. And now that thing has latched a hold of you and you don't know who to turn to. And you've got these walls around those wounds of failure in your life. And failure is more accessible than it's not just a pornography problem, but it is an access problem. This generation has access to so many things by way of the internet and by way of text messaging and by way of social media. And because of how accessible failure is in this generation, guilt and shame and condemnation is more accessible in 2024 than it has ever been. And I'm seeing individuals' minds racked with this guilt and shame and condemnation. But God is going to extend you mercy and grace before we get done in this house here today. And so because of how accessible failure is and how prevalent guilt and shame and condemnation is, in this hour that we are living in, there are individuals in the kingdom that are delaying their destiny because of their failure. Not because God has hit the pause button on their ministry, but because the enemy has convinced you that you've got to live a certain amount of time without a failure or a mistake in your life before God can use you to do anything in the kingdom. But can I tell you, the devil is still a liar. Because God spoke to the prophet Jeremiah and he said, before I formed you in the belly, I knew you and I ordained you as a prophet under the nations. And Jeremiah began to recite his inadequacies back to God as though that would delay his destiny. But God rebuttaled all of Jeremiah's excuses and said, no, Jeremiah, I told you that before I formed you in the belly, I knew you and I ordained you as a prophet unto the nations. Can I tell you that Jeremiah's deficiency was developed after his birth, but his destiny was assigned to him before his birth. And there is no deficiency developed after your birth that will negate a destiny assigned to you before your birth. But God factored every failure into your destiny before you ever came into this world. Aren't you thankful today that God loved you before you were born and he will love you after your brokenness? He loved you before you were in the womb and he will love you after your weakness. He loved you before you were ever formed and he will love you after your failure. We make non-biblical statements in the church like he's the God of third and fourth and fifth and 10,000 chances. But he's not the God of third and fourth and fifth and 10,000 chances. He's only the God of second chances. Now I know that sounds like a statement of condemnation here today. But that's not a statement of condemnation. That is a statement that testifies to the mercy and the grace of God. Because he's not the God of third and fourth and fifth 
and 10,000 chances. He's only the God of second chances. Because he spoke through the prophet Isaiah and said, I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. So every time you repent, it's like the first time because God doesn't remember the last time. So the enemy has convinced you that God keeps a track record of your failure and a history of your mistakes. But every time you repent, this omnipotent all-knowing God erases his memory of every failure and every mistake so your repentance is like the first time because God doesn't remember the last time aren't you thankful today that you have got a promise that if you confess your sins he is faithful and just to forgive your sins We preach a lot about about Ezekiel 37, that valley of dry bones where, where that prophet stood at the edge of that valley. And when he spoke the word, all of a sudden, there was revival in a place of ruin. But there are greater dynamics at work here that testify to the restoring power of this great God that we serve. Because Ezekiel spoke the word this first time, like we are doing here today, and all of a sudden, where there were fragments, bone was connected to bone and ligament was connected to ligament and vein to vein and tendon to tendon and skin was placed back over those bodies and eyes were placed back in the socket and cartilage were placed back in the nose and the ears and teeth were placed back in the mouth and hair was placed back in the follicles and when what was broken was put back together and made whole again Ezekiel spoke the word the second time and the spirit began to move and when the spirit came in contact with what God had made whole again the Bible said that they stood upon their feet an exceeding great army can I tell you that when God puts you back together he will not stop at greatness he will transcend greatness he didn't make a great army. He said they are an exceeding great army. And the enemy has lied to you for long enough and said that there is no future in those fragments. But when God puts you back together, he will make you greater than you have ever been before. When God puts your marriage back together, it'll be a marriage stronger than it's ever been. When God brings your backslidden son back into the house of God, God won't just restore him. God will raise that boy up and make a man of God out of that boy. Whenever God brings your lost daughter back home, he won't just raise her up. He won't just forgive her and restore. He'll raise her up as the greatest intercessor that this church has ever seen when God mends your mind he won't just fix your mind he'll give you a greater clarity than you ever had when God restores your ministry he won't just let you preach again you're gonna preach with greater fervor with come on somebody ought to let the enemy know that he has lied to you long enough and God is not finished with your life 
and you journey through those 400 years of silence and you see where there's a man by the name of John the Baptist that goes about preaching and he is telling the world there is a revival coming to the world that is greater than any revival we have ever seen. The problem is, as long as John kept saying revival was coming, revival could never truly get there. He kept preaching as he kept preaching revival was on the way. But as long as his language kept saying that revival was on the way, revival could never truly get here. Can I take a moment right here in this message and say, we need to change our language in the apostolic church. We are a prophetic people, and we have got the authority to open up our mouths and call things that are not as though they already were. We need to stop saying revival is coming and open up our mouths and speak into the atmosphere that revival is not coming, but revival is here and revival is now. And so finally, John is put in prison. And when John is put in prison, here's that visitation that he had been preaching about God manifest in the flesh. The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And the very first thing that Jesus did was he began to walk the shores of Galilee looking for people to invite, to follow him and be partakers of the greatest revival that the world had ever seen. And can I tell you, the Holy Ghost is extending that same invitation to people in this room. But before God can use you the way he wants to use you, you have got to let him heal some old wounds. Because if you go on this journey before God heals those wounds, you will minister from a place of dysfunction rather than from a a place of wholeness and healing. And so he's walking about the shores of Galilee and the very first few individuals that Jesus finds are two young men by the name of James and John. And the Bible said that they were in their father Zebedee's ship and they were, watch this, they were mending their nets. They were handling something that was fragmented. They were handling something that was broken. You've got to understand that those nets were not something that they just pulled out out of storage for leisure and a hobby on the weekend. But those nets provided for their family. Those nets put food on their table. Those nets put clothes on their back. Those nets put a roof over their head. Those nets were their world, and their world was falling apart. But when Jesus went looking for somebody to be a part of the world's greatest revival, he found somebody that could handle broken things and said that is exactly what I'm looking for. He said, that is exactly what I'm looking for. You think that your brokenness has disqualified you, but really your brokenness has qualified you because if God sees that you can handle broken things, he sees you can handle the harvest. He sees you can handle the world. You can handle the lost. God is not done with you, but if you'll give God your fragments, he will give you a future.
Come on, I said you are exactly what God is looking for. It is amazing to me that they were not replacing those nets, uh, but they were repairing those nets. Uh, when it said mending there in the Greek, uh, it does not just mean to put back together, but it means to make preparation for future use. Uh, so James and John, uh, they were not just repairing those nets. Uh, they were preparing those nets uh, in their broken and fragmented condition. James and John understood they might be broken right now but if we can put them back together they're going to catch fish another day. You might be broken right now but when God puts you back together you're going to see miracles again. You're going to preach again. You're going to sing again. You're going to lay hands on the... You're going to pray people through again. You've not taught your last Bible study. Come on, I said you've not taught your last Bible study. God is not finished with your life. Come on, I'm going to dig here, here for a minute this morning. They were not replacing those nets. The enemy has lied to you and said that you'd be better off just backsliding and that God can find somebody to take your spot. You need to let the enemy know you're not going anywhere. You might be broken and fragmented right now, but God's going to put you back together. You are irreplaceable in the kingdom of God. God does not want to replace you. He wants to repair you and put you back together and let you do something you never imagined you'd be able to do in the kingdom. But it said a bruised reed would he not break. And a smoking flax would he not quench. But the verse before that, said that when the Messiah comes, he would not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. Can I tell you, we serve a great big God. I said we serve a great big God. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the creator of the universe. He is the ancient of days. He is the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is the root and the offspring of David. He is a man of war. David said, lift up your head, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. That doesn't sound like a small God to me. That sounds like a big God to me. But the prophet said when he comes, he'll come meek and lowly and gentle. Because when it comes to dealing with broken people, he had to be somebody that the world felt safe enough to bring their brokenness to. And that's why a lot of these old wounds have been festering year after year in some of your lives is because you haven't known who to turn to. You've not turned to anybody else because you don't feel safe enough, but I want you to know you can bring it all to Jesus. 
I was at a conference a few years ago, and I was standing on the front row. And I looked up, and there was a young lady, very godly, very modest young lady. And on the outside looking in, you would think that she had it all together. And as I watched as she sang so powerfully under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, and as I was standing there looking at her, the Lord showed me a vision in the Spirit. And I saw that young lady sitting on the edge of her bed in a dark bedroom. And she had her hands over her face and she was weeping as tears streamed down her cheeks. And I could see the door of the bedroom and light was shining at the bottom of the door from the other side of the door. And on the other side of that door, I could hear children laughing and playing. I could hear other individuals fellowshipping and carrying on. And when that woman heard the children laughing and she could hear the other individuals fellowshipping and carrying on, she lifted up her face in that dark bedroom and she wiped the tears from her eyes and put on a fake smile because she didn't want anybody else to know what she was dealing with behind closed doors. And in the vision, she opened that door and walked out to the rest of the house and nobody knew the pain that she was dealing with behind closed doors. And the Lord spoke to me and said, she is battling the spirit of suicide and nobody in her life knows it I went to her at the altar call I told her what the Lord showed me and when I mentioned she was dealing with suicide she burst into tears and fell down over on the pew but I stood her to her feet and I said sis God does not want to break you even more he wants to put you back together again Somebody better hear me in this house. Suicide is not your answer. I'm going to say that again. I said suicide is not your answer. The devil is a liar. You are the apple of God's eye. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your life is not an accident. It is not a waste. But God has got a reason for your existence. There is a purpose to your life. That spirit's about to let go of somebody in this room. Every hand raised, every eye closed right now. By the authority of the word of God and the power of the name of Jesus, I command suicide to let you go. I command you to be free right now. I command that shackle to be loosed. I command that prison of suicide to open up and let you out now in the name of Jesus. Come on, I'm talking about those wounds that you've carried for years. 
that dysfunction from a broken home that you've carried for years, that emotional trauma from a toxic relationship that you've carried for years, all of that insecurity that you've carried because you were abused as a little boy or a little girl. God's going to set you free in this house when he gets done with your life. It said a bruised reed would he not break and a smoking flax would he not quench. You've got to understand that when you study that, that implies that a smoking flax has damage on the outside. But a bruised reed has damage on the inside. We believe God can deal with the outside. We preach about miracles at every conference you go to in Pentecost. I still believe God can open the blinded eyes. I said, I still believe God can open the blinded eyes. I believe he can make crooked limbs straighten up. I believe that God can let cataracts slide off of your eyes. I believe God can unstop your deaf ears. I believe God can heal your, come on. I believe God can heal your sickness and your disease. I believe he can touch your kidneys and you'll never need another shot of insulin. If we've got faith that God can touch the smoking flax, what about that insecurity from your childhood? What about the depression that you live with? What about the baggage from sexual sin that you carry in your life? What about the fear of abandonment because your daddy walked out on you when you were just a boy? What about that suicidal thought? What about that anxiety? What about that broken heart that's on the inside? I've got good news. He can heal that too. I said he can heal that too. He can remove every suicidal thought. He can give you all the confidence in the world. He can take away your depression. He can give you peace you've never had in all of your life. Let's lift our hands and let's pray all over the house. God's peeling back layers in this room. Come on, let's pray. Come on, something's breaking in this room right now. Come on, you hadn't known who to go to. When you don't know who to turn to on your left or your right or in front of you or behind you, you can look at the God up above you. Come on, he doesn't want to break you. He wants to put you back together again.
One more time, I want you to lift your voice all over this house. God's dealing with people right now. As a matter of fact, if you're ready, God's ready. I want you to make your way out of your seat and flood this altar all over this house. I want you to bring your brokenness, bring your fragments, bring your pain, bring your insecurity, bring your doubts, bring your fears. Uh, come on, bring your emotional trauma, bring your baggage, bring all of it. Everybody, would you make your way out of your seat all over this house? If you're standing next to somebody that doesn't want to come to the altar, grab them by the hand and let them know that they're not by themselves. They can come with you. And God can restore. God can redeem. God can forgive. Uh, God can put it back together. Every apostolic, if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name, if this is your home church, I'm asking you to join us around this altar. There are people that are coming to this altar that need the Holy Ghost, and they need an apostolic to help them pray to seek the Holy Ghost. I know what it's like. I know what it's like. Hear me for just a moment. I understand that you may see me up here preaching. You may think that I can't relate to you with what I'm preaching about. But really it's the opposite. What I'm preaching about was birthed from real life experience. I know what it's like to come from a broken home, dysfunction absent father a mother that worked more than one job just to support me and my sister kicked out of our home no place to go somebody in my family had a piece of land in a trailer and let us live there until I was 19 or so and moved out on my own know what it's like to deal with emotional trauma and pain and there be gaping wounds that really you may not even realize they're there until you're older and you begin to reproduce some of that same dysfunction 
you begin to see byproducts of your life that let you know you're really not healed. What that caused me to do was to live with a performance-based mindset toward God. That's what some of you in this room are dealing with here today. Because I had a skewed perspective of my earthly father, I had a skewed perspective of my heavenly father. And I thought that I had to work to earn his love and his favor and his blessings. And the problem with a performance-based mindset is that when you do good, you feel like you earn it. But one little mistake can send you to the pit of depression because you feel like you just blew it and God's about to strip everything from you. That is so far from this loving Father that we serve. When the prodigal son left the father's house, He spent all of his inheritance on riotous living. And he had a skewed perspective of his father. He didn't know how to be a son. He didn't know how to let the father love him. And this is what he said. He said, the hired servants have bread enough to eat in my father's house. I will go back to my father's house and ask if I can be a hired servant. You don't have to restore me to being a son. I'm not worthy of that. But if you'll just let me be a hired servant, that's good enough. When he went back to the father's house, the father saw him a great way off and the father ran and met him. Can I tell you that God will meet you at your level of vulnerability? But here's what happened. The father never let him ask to be restored to a hired servant. They brought forth the best robe and the ring and the shoes and killed the fatted calf. And they celebrated because his son was home. But watch this. There is a reason that he said hired servant and not a slave. Because in scripture there is a vast difference between a hired servant and a slave. A hired servant is obligated to his master. Or a slave is obligated to his master. A slave is bound to his master. But a hired servant has to work to earn his keep around the father's house. In other words, a hired servant's acceptance is based on his performance. The prodigal son said, if I can work hard enough after the greatest failure of my life. Maybe one day the Father will accept me again. God is going to heal how you view Him here today. You're not going to live with a performance-based mindset, but you're going to get to a place. God's going to heal old wounds. Old wounds of abandonment. Old wounds of abuse, whether physical or verbal or sexual abuse old wounds of being away from God or not growing up in church and now you've you've got this history and this baggage and you don't feel like you're good enough God's going to heal that God's going to heal that the husband the wife the broken marriage God's going to heal it 
generational struggles from seeing your mom and dad be alcoholics or promiscuous. Are unstable and living for God in church one day, out of church the next. God's going to break that pattern in your family tree today. Are you ready? If you're ready, God's ready. But here's what we cannot do. We cannot do what we have become accustomed to doing, and that is building up walls around our wounds. We're going to pray, and they're going to sing. And as they sing, we're going to lift our hands, and you're going to let out every wound, every emotion you've bottled up year after year after year. Some of you have emotions that are shot. I feel this in the Holy Ghost. You have emotions that are numb to the things of God because they have been put through the ringer so much with what you've had to go through in life. You know what it's like to cry from hurt and pain, but you have forgotten what it's like to weep in the presence of God as the Holy Ghost just washes over you and you bask in the peace and the love of God. God's going to restore your emotions. Are you ready? I'm going to pray the prayer of faith. When I pray the prayer of faith, I'm going to tell you to lift your hands and close your eyes and lift your voice. When I tell you to lift your voice, they're going to sing and you're going to let it all out and God's going to heal you. Are you ready? Every eye closed by the authority of the word of God and the power of the name of Jesus. I speak healing into this atmosphere right now. I command every wall to come crashing down. I command every mask to be removed from the face of every person in this room. I speak emotional healing into every heart. I speak mental healing in every mind. I bind doubt and fear and unbelief. I come against security and I lose confidence in the in, I come against insecurity and I lose confidence in the Holy Ghost. I come against depression and I lose joy. In the name of Jesus, I come against suicidal thoughts and I lose life and life more abundantly. I command brokenness to be put back together. I come against the spirit of divorce right now. What God has ordained, let no man put asunder. I come against condemnation and guilt and shame. I command that to be broken off of your life in the name of Jesus. And I lose mercy and grace and restoration in this house. Are you ready? Are you ready? Lift your voice and let it out. Lift your voice and let every emotion, every pain, lift your voice.
for just a moment here's what we're gonna do there's a number of people here that need the Holy Ghost but because of the size of the crowd it's difficult to get to everyone so I'm gonna give some instruction and I need your attention for just a moment I want every eye closed nobody looking around every eye closed nobody looking around if you have never received the gift of the Holy Ghost Maybe we've already prayed all of them through. I know there's been altar workers moving through this crowd. I know one just received the Holy Ghost over here. But if you have never received the gift of the Holy Ghost, if you have never spoken with other tongues, 
without looking around with your eyes closed, I want you to just raise your hand. If you've never spoken with other tongues, put that hand up high. I see several hands going up. Put that hand high. Several hands have gone up. Hands back there. Now here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you have your hand up, I'm asking you to make your way to the front. Stand right here in front of this pulpit. If you have your hand up, make your way to the front. Stand right here in front of this pulpit. You would. Thank you so much for coming. Stand right here in front of this pulpit. If you wouldn't mind, just take one step back because people are going to come stand in front of you and pray for you, and God's going to fill you with the Holy Ghost. Altar worker team, you know who you are. I'm asking you to get ready and help me. There's quite a number here that need the Holy Ghost. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm going to give some instruction. This is very important for you to understand, okay? Anywhere in the New Testament that Jesus filled somebody with the Holy Ghost after the day of Pentecost. They spoke with other tongues. That is the evidence that God has filled you with the Holy Ghost. Okay? So that means when Jesus fills you with the Holy Ghost, it's not going to be English. It's not going to be some other language you already know. You are going to speak with other tongues. That is the evidence that Jesus has just filled you with the Holy Ghost. What's going to happen is we're going to, co we're going to collectively, we're going to repent of our sins. We're going to ask Jesus to forgive us of all of our sins. And we're going to make a conscious decision to turn from those sins and walk toward him from this day forward. And then we are going to pray. And Jesus is going to fill you with the Holy Ghost. So I want you to close your eyes and collectively all over this house, let's all repent. Let's all repent. Say, Jesus, I'm sorry for all of my sins. Say, Jesus, I'm sorry for everything I've said. Sorry for everything I've thought about. Sorry for everything I've looked at and listened to. I'm sorry for every drug or alcohol that I've put in my body. I am sorry for every action that I have done that was not pleasing to you. I am sorry for all of my sins. Now say, Jesus, please forgive me for all of my sins. Jesus just forgave you of every sin you've ever committed. Now here's what's going to happen next. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to count to three. And when I count to three, if you came up here seeking the Holy Ghost, you're going to lift your hands and close your eyes. And when I count to three, you're going to lift your voice, and you're going to shout hallelujah. Here's what's going to happen. 
Here's what's going to happen. As you shout hallelujah, you're going to shout it until eventually your tongue begins to do something you don't understand. When you feel your tongue begin to move in a way it's never moved before, forget about English and just blurt out whatever you feel. You're not going to understand it, so don't even try. Are you ready? Every hand raised, every eye closed. Altar workers, I'm asking you to get ready. Come in front of them. Come in front of them and get ready to lay hands on them when I count to three. We need everybody in this building. Everybody in this building, when I count to three, lift your voice and help this atmosphere be conducive to the miraculous. By the authority of the Word of God and the power of the name of Jesus, I command the winds of the Spirit to begin to blow. I command every vessel to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And I command you right now in the name of Jesus that when I count to three and you lift your voice to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Are you ready? One, two, three. Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Let it out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We got one right here getting the Holy Ghost. We got one right here getting the Holy Ghost. That's it. Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Receive ye the Holy Ghost.